Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. The title of the following Flority selection is Life, a Work in Progress. Echoes of death lap the shores of my being harbingers of a tide that is yet to come, when negation rolls in and life ebbs away. Time stalks me, haunts me, taunts briefly, then is gone, an undertow which lures and sweeps me along, according to a purpose that's yet unknown. Transformations mark stages of becoming, along chaotic paths that disappear in mists of incompleteness, leaving no trace to find. Deep within, a mystery I am feeling, not clearly, but in colored shadows which move like an owl in the night, asking, Who? Who are you? My spirit yearns to see what is calling to me from behind the veil of life's mystery, to know why I am rather than not at all. Caught between forces of give in and go on while waiting for the first light of dawn, my heart fights back tears laced with the salt of earthly fears. Beauty weaves a melody which mingles with my soul, harmony flowing from God's grace against counterpoints of discord from me. Alien places inviting and vaguely familiar reach out through framed symbols of estrangement trapped beneath life's surface hues. Winds of loneliness swirl about me nightly, bringing the chill of freedom to mortal bones. Around me, I wrap my cloak of friendship tightly. Doubt kindles a smoldering uncertainty. Questions boil in a cauldron of possibility. Answers whisper their secrets with subtlety. On the edge of a truth, much is left to see. The title of the following story is the Three Amigos. Community life at the Spiritual Center had been deteriorating for quite some time. The many stresses, confusions, and seductions of modern society had taken their toll on people's commitment to activities sponsored by the Center. The head of the Center had been fighting a rearguard action for years trying to encourage individuals to become involved in the various programs, classes, groups, and services being offered through the center, but with a diminishing degree of success. She had been a good woman of wonderful character who had devoted her whole life to the purposes and principles to which the center had given expression for several decades. 
Now she had passed away, leaving just three individuals to carry on her work. These three, two men and a woman, were her legacy and what a legacy they were. She had often referred to them as the three amigos. All three had become affiliated with the center a long time ago. Little by little, the head of the center had witnessed each of them spiritually develop into individuals of considerable spiritual substance and quality. Some years back, there had been an old woman who showed up at the front entrance wanting to speak with the head of the center in order to become a member. When the director of the center asked how the visitor had come to this decision, the old woman recounted the following story. There had been a person from the center, one of the male amigos, who used to walk to the center down a set of narrow alleyways that ran along the back area of the building. Every day, the man's passage through these corridors was not only like clockwork, but followed the exact same route each day. One of the people who lived in an apartment complex bordering an alleyway on the man's route had watched the member of the Three Amigos pass by at the same time each day and became curious about what he was and what he was about, so inquiries were made. Eventually, the individual who lived in an apartment near the man's daily path and who had made inquiries about the man's identity came to discover the man's affiliation with the spiritual center. When this fact came to the surface, the person in the apartment became quite annoyed because that individual really didn't like the whole idea of spirituality and was contemptuous of anyone who indicated having even the slightest interest in pursuing such a possibility. To demonstrate this displeasure, the apartment dweller used to lie in wait for the man to walk by, and when the man was directly beneath the apartment, the individual dumped garbage, kitty litter, and anything else within reach that might humiliate the man. Oddly enough, not only did the man never deviate from his usual routine or route after such incidents, but he never reported the matter to the police. Day after day, this mode of engagement transpired. Each time the man would look up trying to see who had done the deed, and then, calmly, he would brush off what he could of the thrown refuse before moving on towards the center. At first, when the man down below looked up, the apartment dweller had ducked back from the balcony, not wishing to be seen. But after a while, the perpetrator just stood in plain view, arms placed arrogantly on the balcony, laughing at the man in the alleyway. After several weeks of this treatment, a morning came when the man from the center walked beneath the balcony of the troublesome apartment, and lo and behold, nothing happened. The man looked up, and there was no one there. The man hesitated a little, apparently thinking about something. He checked the balcony again and then went down the alleyway next to the apartment building and headed for the front of that building. He asked the person on the apartment building's front stoop who lived on the second floor and was given the information for which he had asked. Next, he went up the stairs to the second floor and knocked on the only door on the landing. An elderly woman, wrapped in a shawl, hair disheveled, and bearing a gray sickly pallor, opened the door. Despite the appearance of the woman leaning on the door, the man immediately recognized her and said in a sort of rhetorical fashion, 
You are the woman who has been throwing garbage at me the last couple of weeks, aren't you? A look of fear descended upon the woman, and she said, Please, I am sick. Go call the cops if you want to cause me trouble, but I'm not going to argue with you about what I did or why. The man at the door responded with, I don't want to cause you any trouble. I was worried about you when you weren't at your usual spot waiting for me. So I came to see if you were all right and if there were anything else I might do for you. The woman was stunned. She had tormented this man for weeks, and now not only had he not complained or filed a complaint against her, he was concerned over her welfare and health. The woman broke down and cried. The man asked permission to come in, and when the old woman beckoned him with a barely raised and shaking hand, the man came to the woman's side and helped her to a couch where she had been encamped prior to his knocking on her door. The man covered her with the blanket, which was lying crumpled on the floor, and then he began to look after her. He stayed with the old woman for the rest of the day and into the early evening, and before he left, he promised to return the following morning. The individual who had told the story and who had come to the center seeking to become a member concluded her tale by indicating the woman in that story is me, and I wish to follow the same spiritual path which that young man who cared for me follows. Then there was an incident involving one of the other members of the Three Amigos, the female representative. She had been the victim of a mugging which, for a time, had her playing revolving door tag with a number of medical clinics as well as a hospital in the area. Although eventually most of her injuries were repaired and healed, she was left with a slight limp. From time to time, the leg would act up and cause her quite a bit of discomfort and pain for a day or two before subsiding and then disappearing altogether until the next time the leg would act up again. One day she was sitting with a friend and the woman was experiencing one of her recurring episodes of pain from the gimpy leg. Her friend, noticing she was in pain, said to her, Oh, dear woman, your pain is the result of those terrible boys who beat you up. The female member of the three amigos looked at her friend in a rather stern manner, saying, No, nothing comes to me except by the will of God. You're confusing secondary causes with the primary cause. Well, one could go on with more such tales involving the three amigos, However, the foregoing stories serve to reflect something of the character and spiritual quality of those three individuals, but this is a digression of sorts. The three amigos were faced with a problem. Who should become the new head of the center? Actually, this was only part of the problem. The real problem was that none of them wanted the position for himself or herself. This was not because any of them wanted to avoid the headaches that inevitably went with the position of director, or because they wanted someone else to do the work, each of the three was prepared to do whatever was needed, irrespective of who was the head of the center, in order to work towards bringing the center back to a life of spirituality that engaged and assisted the community. Instead, such benevolent finger-pointing was because each of them preferred one of the others to serve as the head of the spiritual center rather than herself or himself. Simply stated, they each thought that the other was better than, or knew more, or was more spiritually advanced than he or she was. Each of them would say to one another 
words to the following effect. The previous head of the center said such complimentary things about you, in other words, one of the other three amigos, and therefore I think you should be the director. However, no matter what was said, the person who was being addressed would counter with something like, Perhaps, but I distinctly remember how much the previous head loved and admired the two of you for the depth of your spiritual knowledge and dedication, so really, one of the two of you should be the new head of the center. All three of them treated one another with such respect, kindness, thoughtfulness, sincerity, love, and generosity, that listening to them and watching them was like watching a beautifully choreographed ballet of spiritual etiquette. Their unassuming as well as innocent displays of humility, modesty, and selflessness became the talk of the neighborhood. In fact, over time, so many people became enamored with the quality of life exemplified by the three amigos that the center began to thrive with spiritual activity. Membership applications began to climb, and the center's volunteer work began to increase in a number of directions. The revitalization of the center left only one problem. Who would be the new director? The title for today's musical interlude is Golden Rays.
from the outback of Australia to the rainforests of South America, from the frozen tundra of Siberia to the plains of Serengeti, from the Himalayans of Asia to the white cliffs of Dover, from the geysers of Yosemite to the glaciers of Antarctica, you are listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Well, I suppose all offers can be refused, so I'll amend my opening statement and simply say, I'm going to make you an offer that I hope you won't refuse. I would like to offer you free, and I do mean free, access to all 40 books that I have written, plus 35 pieces of floetry that were composed over the years, as well as five videos and some podcast recordings covering different topics. This is all contained in the Bridge software that is available through my website, www.anab-whitehouse.com. If you go to my website, click the Bridge software choice on the drop-down menu one option, and then discover how to download the Bridge software for free, no strings attached. My hope is that you will like what you find in the software and, therefore, will be willing to come back and participate in my Patreon campaign to give books to various libraries. But even if you have no interest in supporting the foregoing Patreon campaign, nonetheless, the Bridge software is still yours to have for your personal reading, listening, and viewing experience. This week's meditative essay is entitled, Blessings. Never has so much been given to so many with less gratitude and appreciation. Never has so much been owed by so many to just one. The former statement is not about modern pro-athletes. The latter statement is not about the bank of one's choice. Both declarations are about the status of our collective relationships with God. Like some Dixonian character, we stand before God with bulls in hand pleading, Please, sir, we want more. No sooner do we receive than we forget from whence and from whom it came. We may even return to our respective groups with whatever has been placed in our bowl and boast about how, through our intelligence, cleverness, artistry, strength of character, and we might add at some risk to our person, we have succeeded where others have failed. The tendency to try to take credit for that which is not our doing is part of the nature of being human. Even without our asking, the blessings which God is constantly bestowing on us are so numerous that they cannot be counted. Sometimes, however, we become confused and limit what is to what we experience sensorially or to what we permit into our awareness. As a result, we impose limitation on God's generosity and kindness concerning us due to the insensitivity of our instruments of apperception. Medical practitioners have said one of the puzzles in need of explanation is not how we become ill, but rather how we stay healthy. 
Within us and on us at any given moment are an armada of viruses and bacteria constantly probing our immune systems for weaknesses. How many times a day or how many times in an hour or minute are these probes and attacks repelled by our biological defenses? No one medicine knows. No one in science is even a remotely informed guess. Some say the difference between health and illness under such conditions is a function of a balanced diet, a sufficient amount of the right kind of exercise, limiting, if not discontinuing, our intake of alcohol and tobacco, a stable emotional life, proper periods of sleep, and regular medical checkups. Indeed, studies have been done which show a strong correlation between all of the foregoing factors and health maintenance. However, with all due respect to the health industry, if the above recommendations were the entire story, most of us would be dead or in chronic care units. This is so because most of us don't run our lifestyles in accordance with what health care providers are advocating. Our failure to heed the warnings is neither here nor there. We pays our money and we takes our chances. The issue being addressed here is that in most cases neither medicine nor science has been able to show a causal relationship between the absence of good health care practices and either illness in general or particular kinds of illness. The links are all correlational and statistical in nature. Discussions are couched in terms of risk factors, statistical trends, epidemiological patterns, morbidity tables, prognosis, and so on. No one can say what will happen to any specific individual, but what does happen to any given individual often, although not always, can be made sense of in terms of medical research and clinical experience. The reason healthcare findings are largely correlational in nature is because the confluence of factors which lead to illness are too complex in their permutations and combinations for us to be able to reduce them to some nice, simple, causal equation or principle. Our knowledge of how everything fits together is, despite all the advances which have been made in the last several hundred years, too meager. God works both through what we know as well as through what we don't know. Moreover, sometimes what we know, or think we know, blinds us to what we don't know, and since what we don't know is far more than what we do know, there is a potential for considerable blindness on our parts. Without wishing to discount anything the health sciences have discovered, Sufi masters understand in a very direct manner that both health and illness come from God. God can keep people healthy despite the presence of contraindications in that person's lifestyle. Similarly, God can bring about illness despite the fact that individual may be abiding by all the appropriate health care rules. Go figure. Every second of health is ultimately a blessing of God. Every time our hearts beat, every moment we breathe in oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide, Every second blood flows through our arteries and veins. Every instance in which the billions of cells in our bodies perform their assigned functions in a problem-free manner, we receive uncountable blessings from God. On the other hand, from the perspective of the Sufi masters, illness can be as big a blessing 
if not greater than the blessing of good health. When we experience the pain and enervation of illness, we feel vulnerable and fragile. Consequently, we may be more open to humility than might be the case when we are healthy and have convinced ourselves we are beyond the grasp of God's will. When our health fails, we sometimes understand more clearly than in health how little control we actually have over the affairs of life. As a result, when we are ill, there may be more of a sense of ourselves as dependent beings rather than independent creatures. When our bodies are subdued by disease, we sometimes become more cognizant of the emotional and spiritual illnesses which have been ravaging our lives even when our bodies were healthy. Whatever problems are created by the disease process, opportunities for reflection are generated as well through the downtime created by the debilitating character of the illness. Sufi masters have indicated that the spiritual, emotional, psychological, and physical condition of the ill is conducive to drawing closer to God. Furthermore, the practitioners of the Sufi path have affirmed that God listens even more closely to the plaintive cries of the ill than to the entreaties of the healthy. Illness is not necessarily a punishment. However, the rigors of illness may be necessary for the spiritual development of the individual. To contend with the infirmities, weaknesses, sufferings, and humiliations of illness is a struggle because these are all affronts to the ego, which has a very high opinion of itself. Yet, every struggle is also an opportunity to overcome our arrogance, pride, and hardness of heart. Illness is an opportunity to repent. This is so simply because we are too weak to continue feeding energy to the parasitic ego which, during health, has been resisting the idea we have anything for which to repent. The Sufi masters have noted how, sometimes, illness is the modality God has chosen to confer grace and blessings on the individual. In exchange for the individual's pain, suffering, and discomfort, the person is given gifts of one sort or another, which may come to fruition later in this life or in the life to come, or in both. God is able to give wages of grace for many types of work, effort, struggle, and sacrifice. Illness can be the means of bringing people together. Illness can be a way of taking one out of action temporarily so that some even greater trial or difficulty may be avoided. Illness may serve to push one in new, better directions with respect to family, friends, or the community. Illness may be the catalytic agent which helps bring about constructive transformations in attitude, intention, or behavior. In view of the foregoing, one might mention something to the effect that illness can be a blessing in disguise. In point of fact, however, our whole life is a multifaceted blessing in disguise to which, unfortunately, we have become inured. As a result, we have a tendency to be a thankless, graceless lot who are always seeking to renegotiate our contract with God no matter how poorly we have performed previously. Furthermore, somehow we frequently operate under the misapprehension that because we may have been associated in some way with one or more positive deeds at some point in our past, therefore God ought to be indebted to us. In reality, the opposite is the case. 
We eternally ought to be indebted to God for permitting us to be associated in even a minor way with deeds which are the future source of as well as give present expression to blessings from God. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion. Thank you.